All right. <clears throat> Praise God. And uh, hopefully everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving um, with some good food and some reflecting on things to be thankful for. And as believers, we should always have something to be thankful for. And if you really sit down and think and reflect, you should be able to find that there are a million things to be thankful for. And as a, as a tradition, you've heard me say this uh, many times, as a tradition on Thanksgiving, we always get together as a family right before we eat, after we bless the food, and we all take turns saying what we're thankful for. The hardest part about that conversation is figuring out, okay, what do I want to say with all the things that I have to be thankful for? Because obviously, you know, we're not going to stand there for an hour each or so telling each other everything that, to be thankful for. But there's a lot, there's a lot to be thankful for. Um, in preparing this message, there was um, uh, a scripture that the Lord put on my heart before starting the actual message. And I don't know why he put it there. And I was just thinking, I said, well, Lord, this, I'm not, what does this have to do with the topic at hand? And he said, you'll see, just go to it. And through various different things that just happened in a short time from being here in church, there's a lot of confirmation that, yeah, there's a reason why God wants us to go to this particular scripture. So before we actually get into the message, turning your Bibles to James chapter one. James chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21. And if anything that I know about God, when he puts something on your heart and he starts to give you some confirmation that, yeah, this is what I want you to do, there's usually a reason for it. We don't always know what that reason might be, but there's always a reason for it. God is not wasteful. He does things with, with a purpose. So if there's something that he's telling you and you feel like you've gotten some confirmation, um, you need to you need to act on it. OK, James, chapter one, verse twenty one. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Underline in verse twenty two, be doers of the word and not hearers only okay? deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and a not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in, in what he does. If any of you, if any, anyone among you thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. The main part on that scripture that I want to focus on is being a doer of the word and not a hearer of the word. Um, Pastor talked earlier, uh, right before this message in his intro, about how the last nine months God is preparing us for things to come and that we need to take him more seriously. And we have to also understand <clears throat> that by taking God seriously, it's not about just coming to church. It's not just about occasionally cracking open your Bible. It's not just occasionally about praying, but it's about what do you do with all of that stuff that you're reading, with everything that you hear in church, with everything that you might hear in Bible study, with everything that you might hear from a lunch with another believer. What do you do with all that information that you have? If you're simply just going to sit down reading for the sake of reading it to be able to mark off your check checklist and say, OK, Lord, yep, I read your word today. 
Oh, I prayed this morning. Yep, I did that. Oh, I prayed tonight. Yep. Oh, went to church. Okay. Yep. Gave my time. If that's all you're going to do and you don't take this information and actually actually apply it to your own life, you're not going to see any changes in your life whatsoever. Whatever issues you may be having, whatever trials or tribulations you might be under, all those things are going to constantly be there. If you don't take what you hear from the Bible, if you don't take what you read or what you hear in services or in Bible study, if you don't take those things and actually apply them to your life, your life is not going to get any better. And in some cases, it could end up actually worse. Okay, so it's important that as believers, we are being doers of the word and not just hearers only. How many times in school, there's things that I can remember in school or kind of remember. (laughs) I can remember some subjects in school that I have no use for, never had a use for. And I don't know how to do those things now. I remember Punnett squares specifically in biology. I have no idea how to put together a Punnett square to figure out a uh, a, a, um, uh, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? The, the, The dominant gene over the recessive gene. Okay, but I just remember simply putting together some squares. I have no reason to use that whatsoever in my life, so I don't know how to use it anymore. So if I don't take that information and actually apply it to my life, how am I going to learn how to, to put together Punnett squares in biology? Right. Same thing with math. There's so many math formulas um, in all the math classes that I've taken, and I, I don't even use any of those things. You know, never had a need for them. At the time, I learned it because I knew that I was going to have to take a test to pass a class to get my diploma, et cetera, et cetera. But if it wasn't for any of that stuff, I probably would have just looked at it and said, I have no interest in knowing this. I have no. Why do I need to know what pi is? Three point one four. I don't use that in anything. So the same thing about about the word. If you don't see how it's going to benefit your life and if you're not willing to apply it, it will have no benefit in your life whatsoever. So shifting gears a little bit into the message, because um, what we're going to hear today and what I'm going to talk about today, and just like anything, anytime you listen to, to a sermon or, you, you, or when it comes to the things of God, it's important to be able to say, how does this apply to my life? How could I put it in practice into my life um, so that I can be a much more victorious Christian? So a question I have for you is, what's a trial? Webster defines a trial as the examination before a judicial tribunal of the facts Put an issue in a cause, often including issues of law as well as those of of fact. The determination of a person's guilt or innocence by due process of law, the act of trying, testing, or putting to the proof. Okay, an actual trial in the sense of um, the law, somebody going on trial for a crime that they committed or that they were being accused of. Usually the person is we in this country anyway, we have the 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 presumption presumption of innocence. So if somebody goes on trial, they're innocent until proven guilty, even if that person is is innocent. And we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they're innocent or they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they're innocent. As they're going through that trial, it has all sorts of ups and downs and emotional ups and downs with it. Because at some point while they're sitting there, you know, you've got to deal with a prosecutor that's coming in and saying, well, you did this. And the reason you did this is because of this. And they're yelling and getting all animated and everything. And that person could be sitting there thinking, well, that's not who I am. But over time, as that trial goes on, they then also start to doubt, like, well, what if that prosecutor convinces the jury that I'm actually guilty, even though I'm innocent? What's the emotional toll that it takes on family members? Now, everything that's in that person's life that was supposed to be private is now becomes on display for everybody to see, which also has takes an emotional toll on that person that's innocent. But when we go through trials and tribulations in the spirit world, it's kind of the same exact thing, except we don't doubt our innocence or guilt. 
We doubt whether or not God is actually who he is. We doubt whether or not we're able to overcome the situation that we are in. During the trial, when the person that's innocent, they make the, the verdict and they say, oh, yeah, we know so-and-so is innocent. We find them innocent. They're overcome with emotion and enjoy because even though they are innocent, going through that process was a challenge. And then now that it's all over, they're like, oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, that's right. I'm innocent. I knew it all the time. You can hear them in the news. Oh, I knew it all the time. It was just a matter of time before it came out. When we go through trials and tribulations in life and the trial is over, we have that same level of emotion. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. This is finally over. This is finally over. But what was happening during that trial? Did you allow the devil to get in there and accuse or or, or plant doubt in your mind that God is able to deliver you? Do you did, did you allow the devil to get in there and say, yeah, this is this is not going to work out. This is not going to work and allow you to be distracted. So you take your eyes off of God. Or are you able to withstand during that trial and understand that that is part of the process? So we're going to talk about today, actually, is how do you enjoy the process of going through a trial? Trials and tribulations are difficult, and I don't care how strong of a Christian you are, they're not always easy to get through. But if we understand why we have trials and tribulations, if we know what to do during the trial and tribulation, it makes it it makes it easier to deal with. It makes it easier, uh, easier to manage. OK. So today, enjoying the process. That's what we're going to talk about. Why do we go through trials? Well, we know because Jesus said you will have trials and tribulations. But many times as believers, when we hear that, we take that as a reason to say, um, and you've heard Pastor use this, this, um, this example a lot about my grandmother, one of my grandmothers that would say, well, we all have our crosses to bear. A lot of times as Christians, when we hear this, the, the message, oh, yeah, well, Jesus said we're going to have trials and tribulations, we use that as a reason to say, eh, I've got what's going on because Jesus said there's going to be trials and tribulations. So it is what it is, you know. But we forget the scriptures in Romans, I believe it is, where it says trials and count it all joy as you go through various trials because it brings perseverance and patience and character. And we forget that in order to get through that. And we look at Jesus said there'll be trials and tribulations. Um, Book of Romans talks about it's going to build character. We forget that in order to build that character, there are things that you have to do during that process of a trial. God didn't intend for us to go through a trial just to sit back and say, all right, I'm going to throw my hands up and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No. OK, several several weeks back, I had done a message about being proactive. God expects us to go on the attack against the enemy when we have things going on, not just to sit back and just wait until the, until this thing blows over. Right. How many of us heard that saying that, um, oh, this too shall pass. Right? We've heard that saying before. That's just simply saying, oh, yeah, don't worry. Someday you'll wake up and the depression will be gone. Someday you'll wake up and you'll miss that spouse that passed away in that horrible accident. Someday you'll wake up and your bank account will be where you want it to be. Someday you'll have that job. Someday you'll have that house. But they forget the fact that in order to get those things, you have to do something. You have to play an active role. It's not about just sitting back and waiting. So Jesus, while Jesus did say we have trials and tribulations, he also recognizes that or expects us to be able to be active in solving those trials and tribulations through Holy Spirit guidance. And then we also need to be able to make sure that we know what's going on during a trial and tribulation and realize that there's a purpose for it. There's a saying, no pain, no gain. And as, a, as an athlete or anyone that's ever played sports, you know how you know, you know what that means. Right. Pain has to become your best friend because it's something that's going to be constant as you continue to develop your athletic skills. 
in the workplace, pain is not necessarily physical, but pain could be mental in the sense of more stress, more mental, um, uh, uh, more mental capacity that has to be used during the day if, as you climb the ladder. You know, you might be in a job where you feel like this is useless to me and gosh, this, it's a stepping stone to something else, but it makes it really hard. But it's still some pain, if you will, that you have to go through to be able to get through every single every single day to get through those tasks so that when that promotion comes, you are actually ready for the promotion. OK, so what do we do during the during trials? I'm going to give you three steps to be able to enjoy, if you will, the process of going through the trial. But before we get to that, let's turn to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine to build a little bit more of a foundation before we look at how to uh, embrace, if you will, uh, the challenges that come along with the trial and tribulation. Luke chapter nine, verse 57. Luke chapter nine, I'll wait for everyone to get there. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, underline this, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Several messages or go, uh, Pastor talked about how. Our divine purpose is for God to for us to become one with God. OK, so being able to build that relationship with him to where he is constantly abiding in us and we are constantly abiding in him. As you go through that process, then what, what will happen is God will start to, to give you various tasks that he needs you to carry out. And whatever those tasks might be, you have to be willing to go in it, to go in, all in with that task and not look back to what it was like beforehand. All right. How many of us will look back to what life was like before we became saved and actually when I don't need a show of hands. OK, but we'll look back to our life as, as the way it was before we were saved and actually think, man, that was so much easier back then. Why am I putting myself through this now? now I thought I thought following God was supposed to be this this, this wonderful, glorious experience and that I wasn't going to have any problems. And no, that's not necessarily the case. If anything, more issues come up when you follow God. But the difference is who actually has to deal with those issues. When you follow God and the issues come up, you know, OK, Lord, I'm going to take my direction from you versus from Sally Joe. OK, or versus from this person here or that person there. I give it to you, Lord. And I say, OK, Lord, here's the problem that I have. I have no idea how to solve it. What do you need me to do? OK, if there's anything that you actually need to do. OK, that's one of the differences between living in Egypt, if you will, versus now. All right. Israel, what happened to them? All right. They were delivered out of the hand out of, out of Egypt. They were delivered out of Pharaoh's hands. But as soon as things got tough, what did they do? 
They started saying, oh, my gosh, I'd rather be back in Egypt. Who in their right mind, being delivered from slavery, would actually want to go back to being beaten in 120 degree heat for for what? I mean, who, who in their right mind would actually do that? But here they are sitting there saying those things, forgetting that God actually delivered them. And then what happened to that? God said, OK, well, fine. If that's what you want, then you're going to wander in this in this area here for 40 years because I'm tired of you uh, murmuring against me. I'm tired of you forgetting over the fact that I actually delivered you. So when you come to that that place where you say, all right, I'm giving everything over to God and I'm giving my life over to God, whatever it is that he calls you to do, you have to be all into it. Okay, and understanding that if you start looking back to Egypt and to what life was like because you desire to go back to that. There's a difference between looking back and just remembering, wow, I remember I was all messed up then. And yeah, I can see how God had his hand on me then to bring me to where I am now. There's a difference between looking back for a reflection purpose to see where you are now versus looking back and saying, man, I really wish I was back there. I wish I was at that old job. I wish I was with those old friends. I always wish I was at that old church. OK, if you do that, what Jesus is saying here is you're not fit for the kingdom of God. If Jesus, let's say Jesus actually looked back. OK, because nothing Jesus went through was easy. All right. A lot of times Christians like to think that, um, um, well, Jesus had it easy. I mean, he was the son of God. So, I mean, how hard could he have, could he have had it? Well, he had it pretty difficult. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that he was exposed to everything we were exposed to, yet he was without sin. So Jesus went through everything that we have gone through in our lives so that he can say, I know what it's like to be a man so that when it is time for salvation and when you when you stand before him on judgment day, nobody can stand up there and say, well, God, you don't understand. You say, well, actually, I do, because my son was on, your, on, on the earth and he went through that same exact thing and he was found without blemish. That's why he was sacrificed. So imagine if Jesus going along this journey, just threw up his hands and said, Lord, I know this is what you want me to do, but I'm tired of these people. I mean, come on. Look how much l- l- misbelief that they have. How many times are they going to call me in to solve their problems? I can't solve another problem. These people are so ungrateful. They're questioning who I am. And which means that they're questioning you. Why should I bother to put up with this? All right. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Lord, 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 um, let this cup pass from me. However, not my will, your will be done. What if he just said, you know what, Lord, that's it. I'm, I'm on my wit's end. I can't go. I can't go through with this. What if he was on the cross and just said, because what did he say when he was on the cross? I can call down what 12 legions of angels. Right. What if he actually decided, you know, I'm going to call down the angels and that's it. And I'm going and see you. See you all later. Good luck with getting into heaven, because it ain't going to be through me. I'm not putting up with this nonsense. What if he did that? Imagine how imagine where you would be. Imagine where we would be as mankind. When God calls you to do something, it's also important to understand that it's for the benefit of others. Okay, it's for the benefit of others. It's not always to benefit just you. So what that means is God will oftentimes call you out of your comfort zone to do something, to benefit others around you, to give glory to him. You guys heard me say and people that know me know that one of the things that I hate is I absolutely hate with a passion public speaking. But yet still, here I am standing in front of all of you. Why? Because one of the things that I enjoy doing is I enjoy teaching. 
I enjoy being able to share things that, that, that I've been through. I've been able, I enjoy sharing, sharing my experiences to try to, to try to help people, you know, and, and I have a hard time with, you know, just kind of sitting back and listening to somebody with a problem and not trying to offer a solution, you know, and I'm sure my wife is in here thinking like, yeah, that's right. As many times I say to you, just keep your mouth shut and just listen, you know, but I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking like, wait, I've been there. You can do this. You can do this. You can do that. But I enjoy teaching. So what God does is he said, well, since you enjoy teaching, I'm going to put you in a position to teach, but I'm going to use something that you don't like and pull you out of your comfort zone so you can trust me. So you don't like public speaking. Well, guess what? I'm going to put you in a position where you're public speaking. And every position that I've even had in my secular job, in my secular life, the things that I've always enjoyed are the opportunities where I can actually teach and I can coach, regardless of whether or not public speaking is is, is involved. But that's what God that's what God will do. And Jesus said there in verse 58, foxes have holes. Uh, have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to, to lay his head. So when you get called out, you don't have that place of safety that you can run back to like a fox would have by going into a foxhole or by a bird escaping to a nest. Jesus didn't have a place of safety or familiarity that he can go back when he called when he stepped out and started doing God's will. OK, he went everywhere and he was being persecuted. He was being called all sorts of names. Uh, he came across people that no matter what he said to them or he showed them, they were going to come back with him and just try to come against him because everything that he stood for, they were against. OK, so understand that the trial and tribulations are especially going to happen when you allow God to to to, to pull you into what he actually wants you, what he actually wants you to do. When you start walking in that divine destiny in terms of what is it that God wants to have you do on this earth to to, to spread the word. That's when trials, trials also are, are going to start to begin. So now that we know when the trials are going to start to begin and what could cause them and the importance of being able to walk in God's purpose and not look back to what life was like before that. Let's look at the first step of how to enjoy the process of, uh, of going through a trial. Luke nine, verse 60 says, Jesus said to him, staying here in Luke, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. So one way to enjoy it is to eliminate all distractions. Eliminate all distractions, anything that's going to pull you away from focusing on God. Eliminate those things out of your life. Turn to one Kings chapter 19. One Kings 19 verse 11. So the first step of enjoying the process, remember, I said I'm going to give you three steps. The first step here is to eliminate distractions. So one Kings chapter 19, verse 11. Then he said, go out, uh, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. This is God talking to Elijah. Then he said, go out and go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Underline this. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. Underline. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. 
But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. You see, God doesn't always talk to us in his loud, booming voice. Okay? And honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that even. I'm not sure where that perception even comes from, to be quite honest with you. Um, I know even as a, as, as a kid, there was times I used to think, well, when God talks, he must have this booming, booming voice where everybody, everybody hears. No, that's not how God talks. God doesn't always talk to you in a loud, booming voice. And from experience, I can tell you, you don't want to wait till that voice starts to seem loud and booming when he's talking to you, because that usually means you're in some serious trouble. OK, but he talks to us in a still, small voice. And the reason it's a still, small voice is because it allows us to focus on him versus focusing on the things that are around us. Okay. The earthquakes, the fire, the wind, so to speak, you know, while you might not be going through an actual natural earthquake um, or a strong wind or a fire, many times trials and tribulations will feel like those things. And that's a lot of stuff that's happening. And those things are loud and there's fear and you have some fear there. Or you're like, Oh, what do I do during this earthquake that you can't hear instructions sometimes even from, um, from first responders because your focus is, oh, my gosh, there's an earthquake, there's an earthquake. How many people, if an earthquake were to happen right now, how many people would actually run for the door to try to get outside without realizing that that's one of the worst things that you can do? Okay, if you've ever had any kind of earthquake drill, you don't go outside when you're inside of a building to escape from an earthquake because popular to co- um, contrary to popular belief, the, the chances of a building actually completely collapsing in on itself during an earthquake is not as large as many people think. And the reason you don't go outside during an earthquake is because as the building starts to shake, there's going to be pieces of the building on the outside that are going to f- that, that are going to fly off and you run the risk of getting hit. You stay away from windows because the way the windows are going to shatter. They're going to more than likely shatter inward. So if you're standing out there like, oh, my gosh, look, there's an earthquake and I'm going to look outside. There's a good chance you're going to get seriously injured. So if there was first responders in here trying to guide us or ushers trying to guide us, how many times would how, how would we would we actually be able to hear the instructions of that? Or are we going to be too focused on the earthquake? God talks to us in a still small voice to make sure that we ignore the, the noise around us and that we had that he has our full undivided attention. So in verse 13 again, uh, or uh, in verse 12 again, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice, underline a still small voice. Picking up in verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Underline all of that. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him saying and said, came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very, very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. But, but uh, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn, your, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So you got to remember something, too, a little bit of a dynamic that was going on before this. Um, so before this, Elijah uh, was, was telling people, you know, choose either choose God or choose Baal as your as your God and follow follow him. So in essence, 
pick a side. There's, there's too many people that are wavering back and forth. Um, at one point, he also um, uh, set out a challenge to say, well, if Baal is truly a god, then let's offer up a sacrifice. And whichever sacrifice gets lit on fire will determine who's actually God. And, you, you know, the story, um, he put water uh, on his sacrifice and God lit, lit that fire. Um, and I think burned some of the other the, the, the false prophets out there as well. And then Jezebel had sent a message too when she got word of what Elijah was doing um, after slaying the prophets of Baal. She sent a messenger to Elijah saying um, that basically, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeking your life. And the next time we see you, we're going to kill you. So Elijah took off out of fear and ran into this cave. And this is why God was um, and, and God was talking to him. there. OK, so understanding that as you're starting to walk in God's divine purpose, there's going to be all sorts of distractions that are going to come your way. OK, there's going to be all sorts of challenges that are coming your way. So you need to be able to eliminate those distractions from you. What you see here in verse uh, 13, um, where it says he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. OK, now, after going through an earthquake and wind and fire, you're understanding that the elements around him, the physical elements around him could have caused him some physical harm. So by wrapping his face, uh, uh, wrapping that mantle around his face, it provided him some protection. OK, if he knew like, OK, wait a minute. All of these distractions that are happening around me, I need to sit down here and I need to get focused. Wrapping that mantle around his face is a way to be able to also go into a prayer closet and say, OK, let me shut everything off from the outside. I just had all this windstorm happen. I just had this fire. I had this earthquake. Let me shut everything off from the outside so I can actually get focused. It also allows because if you've ever been in a windstorm um, and had debris blow at you or if even if you've been in a hailstorm, that stuff hurts. <laughs> I mean, it hurts. I don't care how tough you are. Those little pieces can actually hurt of debris. So by him being able to wrap himself now, now he's got some protection where it's, okay, the outside elements can't harm me now to, you know, all things being equal. Outside elements can't harm me. Now I'm going to listen. All right, Lord, what do you have to say to me? So when you know what those outside elements are that are keeping you from walking in, in, in God's purpose for your life, you have to eliminate them and you have to eliminate them quickly. Amen. Now, how does that bring you joy? Well, What's so joyful about that? Well, when you surround, when you take your life and you say, all right, God has told me this is what he wants me to do. All right. He wants me to help people. All right. Whatever that aspect might be, whether it's it's it's, it's helping um, um, people that have mental disorders or helping kids or whatever that that specific thing might be. Now it's about, all right, how do I have my life focused only on that, not focusing on. Becoming a mechanic or something like that or opening up my own business unless God called me to open up a business where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking in uh, unforced people in unfortunate circumstances. But the joy that you get by by making your life centered around this is that you will see the level of stress that you have decreases. The level of worry that you have decreases. Your energy is all focused on getting this thing accomplished and you have tunnel vision and nothing that you nothing that is outside of that is going to is going to keep you distracted. So you're able to put the blinders on much like a horse. If you've ever seen uh, people riding horses, usually they have these blinders on so that when they're walking, they don't. Oh, look at this. And they get distracted or they get spooked by something and then they start freaking out. They have those blinders on so that whoever's controlling that horse now can make sure that that horse is actually focused on. Here's the direction that we need to go. Don't worry about this. If I need you to go there, then I'll pull you over there. The same thing is when you have your life focused and centered around God and what he wants you to do. You've got the spiritual blinders on. And the only way you deviate from that path is when Holy Spirit says, hey, I need you to take this route over here. OK, 
So the joy that you get going through a trial and tribulation when your life is just focused on the things of God is that you start to realize, why was I worried about that? Five years ago, I remember, man, I lost sleep over this. And that has nothing to do with what God wants me to do now. Why would I do that? Okay. If you've ever spoken to a business owner, I remember for a college class I took, um, I actually interviewed a small business owner. And I was shocked to hear that this particular individual had zero debt. Zero. I said, how, did you, how do you have zero debt? And this individual told me, he said, because I was focused on, I'm focused on running a successful business. And my business can't be successful if I have to owe a bunch of people money. So, I, so this business has one credit card in the business. And what happens is, is whenever we need to buy supplies, we put it on that credit card and then it's paid off as soon as we get the bill. And I've been doing that for, I think the business has been in for about 20 years or something like that. So I've been doing that and have zero debt. I'm like, what? She said, yes, because I'm not going to allow those other things. I'm not going to get pulled into uh, these other offers with these. Oh, yeah, credit card for this business and a credit card for this and doing that and all these. Rewards. I'm not going to allow myself to be distracted by those things and mess around and have to owe money that my business won't be able to pay. And then we got to shut down because all of these people that are in this business are here because they have a place to go to. So if I don't keep this business up and running, they don't have jobs. OK. But it was that laser focus that this individual had that kept them from being distracted and allowed them to only have one credit card with zero debt. So you have to make sure that you also have a laser focus on whatever it is that God wants you to do and align everything in your life to do that and only that. When you do that, you'll realize that the trials and tribulations you go through are part of the process. Okay? It's part of the process. And it'll make it much more manageable, uh, much more manageable and easier to deal with. So that's the first step. Eliminate any distractions in your life. The second step to enjoying your uh, enjoying the process of going through trials and tribulations is to review your resume. Turn to Exodus chapter 15. So we understand that. When you're walking in God's divine purpose for your life, the trials are going to come, but they're there to prepare you for things to come. So in order to be able to get through the process, the first thing you do is you eliminate all those distractions, eliminate the things that are going to move your focus off of off of God. Much like when Peter was walking on water. Okay, he stepped off the boat when he saw Jesus on the water. Jesus said, come. What did he do? He stepped off the boat and he was walking on water. But as soon as he looked around and saw the storm, he took his eyes off of Jesus, lost that focus. What happened? He started to sink. And Jesus was there to pull him out of the water and asked him, why did you doubt? OK, you can do some amazing things when you don't allow yourself to be by, distracted by things that don't matter. OK, so now we're going to look at reviewing your resume. So uh, uh, Exodus chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse one. Then Moses and the children of Israel, Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. Underline that. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father is God, and I will exalt him. Underline that as well. Matter of fact, just underline all the verse, too. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. He ch his chosen captains are also drowned in the sea. Talking about Pharaoh's captains. 
also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have, have covered them. They sink to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. Underline that. You have over, overthrown those who, who rose against you. If you notice, it says you have overthrown. That's past tense, which means that it's already been done. So when the situation comes in your life, recognize that God has already delivered you from that situation. It takes some time to manifest itself in the in the in the natural world. Right. When we know we know about the Prince of Persia, where uh, Daniel's Daniel sent with that prayer. And the angel said, Daniel, Lord already heard you. But the Prince of Persia was, withstood me 21 days until the archangel Michael helped me. Right? So we know it takes some it takes some time, but know that you've already been delivered from it. OK, so there in verse seven again. And, the, and in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together and the flood stood upright like a heap. The depths, uh, the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall des- destroy them. You blew wind. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Picture that for a minute. Now, now. It, in case you didn't pick up on it there, this is um, um, they were praising God because they just got delivered out of the hands of Pharaoh. So they just crossed the Red Sea and the Red Sea came over Pharaoh's armies and, and, and killed them all. And so they're they're praising God be, because of that. But just imagine what that would look like. OK, think about that imagery. Now, none of us were there to see any of this or to experience any of this. So our imaginations could go wild with, wow, what, what did this look like? You know, um, um, to see this huge sea, all of a sudden the waters just parted and the enemies that were chasing this, chasing the Israelites there, the waters came back on them and they drowned after the Israelites got through. If you're envisioning what that looks like in your mind, then it should be a good reminder of who has your back. If God could do all of that, for people that were being literally chased by another army to be put back into harm's way to operate as slaves and to be beaten and everything like that. What makes you think that he won't deliver you out of a situation where you're stuck in a job that you don't really want to be in? Or that he's going to raise your bank account to where you think it needs to be to be able to to to, to pay your bills or to be able to, or you give that tithe. Pastor was talking last week about that. OK, tithes and offerings. Do you think that if God can deliver the Israelites out of the hands of Pharaoh, that he wouldn't be able to replace that money that you gave as a tithe and an offering that's there to benefit somebody else? So think about this as you as you as as we're reading this and and remember these remember these images here. okay? and look at verse 11. Underline this. Who is like you? O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonder? Doing wonders. When you're going through something, do you ever stop and just think, Lord, who is like you? Who is there that's like you out there? Because what did God say? God said that there is none before me. There was none. And after me, there will be none. Okay. so who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Verse 12, you stretched out your your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them, uh, guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Underline verse 13 there as well. You in your mercy have led forth the people 
whom you've redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. If God took you out of something and he led you out of there, you think he's going to let you go back? You guided them with your strength to your holy habitation. He pulls you out of a situation. It's because that's not where he wants you to be. He wants you to be over here or he needs you to be over here. Doesn't mean that there isn't a purpose for what you went through way back over here. But when he pulls you out, it's I'm taking you out of this. You served your purpose over there. I need you to serve over here now. Okay. so if he pulls you out of something, recognize or as he's pulling you out of something, recognize that he's bringing you to his holy habitation. Verse 14, the people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of uh, of, of Philistia. I'm not sure if I said that right, but uh, then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Uh, Let me see. What do I want to start? Fear and dread will fall on them. But the greatness of your arm, they will be uh, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. Okay, so that's a lot of scripture there. And what I said was what the second step is to review your resume. Well, if you looked at this and, you know, and, and you look at what the what the uh, what Moses and the and the Israelites are, are singing to God there. All right. What they're doing is they're praising God for getting them out of everything that they experienced while they were in Egypt. So when it comes down to reviewing your resume, so to speak, on your resume of, of victories that God has given you, do you have the actual victories listed on there? Because if you're reviewing those victories and you're being specific about those victories as you're praising God, you know what that does? It brings about a, a, a level of confidence that, yep, God can do it again. I'll get through this again. One of the things that I have on my resume, um, um, on my actual personal resume, my work resume, is every single position I've ever held, I have a list of accomplishments on there. And then I have a separate document that I keep with other with with my accomplishments as well. In my iPad, I have all sorts of victories of things that God has delivered me through, because what I have found is that any time I go through a situation, if I go back to those victories, it'll kick me into a different gear of, wait a minute, I've been here before. I came through this before and it puts me in a problem solving mode to be able to say, "Okay, what did I do? Because we all have a role to play. Right. We all have a role to play in trials and tribulations. It's not just about. All right, God, here you go. See you later. I'm going to go like like Pastor always says, I'm going to go. I'm looking for a job and I'm going to go feed pigeons on the park bench somewhere. We all have somewhat of a role to play. And God only knows what that role is. So by reviewing your resume and your accomplishments, you see, you've been there before and it'll kick you into a mode of, well, if I did this back in. Five years ago, and it came out okay, what am I not doing now that I can take from that? What did I learn from that experience that could help me in this situation now? One of them always should be, well, let me give it to God, but there might be some other specific things in there that you, that you need to do, okay? So in order to, 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 to help enjoy the process of a trial or tribulation, review your resume and be very specific about the accomplishments that you have, okay? If you don't have them right, written down, I suggest you write them down and go back to those things. Review them every so often as a reminder to know that God was with you then. And if God is the same yesterday, today and forever, then he will be with you today in your trial and he will be with you tomorrow in your trial. And when you're delivered from the trial and the next trial comes, he will still be there with you. Okay, and be as specific as as possible. As you can see here in Exodus there, uh, Moses and the Israelites were very specific about how they were praising God. They were getting to examples of what was happening to Pharaoh's armies, what God did to part the Red Sea. I mean, it said there that they drowned like they had a stone hanging from them. 
Okay. Now that should also be proof to anyone that tries to, to, to dispute whether or not the Red Sea was actually a sea or not. I mean, that's pretty clear there that the Red Sea was a sea. You can't drown like a stone is hanging from your feet if you're in just a little creek. OK, the water's not going to be deep enough. I can go over here to Mill Creek and stand in there. I'm sure I won't do this. I'm standing there and the water's going to be around my ankles. If you tie the stone to my foot, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to drown and I can't swim. So I'm pretty sure that I'm not that I'm not going to drown in that little creek. So clearly this was a sea. Okay. So first thing you do to help enjoy the process, eliminate any distractions that keep you focused, uh, that keep you from focusing on God. The second one is to review your resume and be specific about the accomplishments that God uh, or in the victories that God has has created in your life. And the last one here, as we start to close, is going to be remember who you are. Turn to Jeremiah chapter one. Remember who you are. We have to remember when we're thinking about who we are in Christ that we have a we that we serve a, a larger purpose and that God has got our backs. And that should change our mentality. If we're truly allowing our minds to be renewed, it should change our mentalities um, as we're dealing with all sorts of problems. So Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Underline in verse five where it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Okay. God already knew about you before you were even a baby. Before you were a little fetus, God already knew. God already knew what he was calling you to do. So if he knew, if he knew who you were before you were actually created, before you were in your mother's womb, before you were even born, don't you think the things that you go through in life that he doesn't have his hands on you to shape you and to mold you into what he needs you to be? He knows who you are. He knows what you can you can tolerate. He knows what you can't. The Bible says that you will never be tested. God will not allow us to be tested beyond what we can bear. So if you're going through something, know that you can actually bear it, because right there in verse five, I formed you in the womb um, before I formed you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you. Verse six, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot I cannot speak for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth. Underline that. Do not say I am a youth for you shall go uh, go to all whom I send you and where whatever I command you, you shall speak. So when you have something going on, OK, part of remembering who you are is to not have that negative confession out of your mouth. OK, don't say I can't do this. Or I am not this. All right. If you say those things, then you will naturally be not become that. If you say if you have a desire to be, um, let's say you, you, you want to be a veterinarian or something like that. For some reason, I'm thinking about this cat that keeps coming, <laughs> keeps coming over to our house uh, looking for food. That's not even our cat. Um, you know, we like to pet her and feed her and everything like that. But let's say for whatever reason you want to become a, vet, a veterinarian. If you keep saying that, well, I'm not a vet, I'm not a vet then are you ever going to become a vet? Probably not, because that's a negative confession coming out of your mouth. I'm not, I'm not a vet. I'm not a vet. What you could say is you can say, I am working to become a vet. 
Because now what you're saying is I might not have the credentials at this point. I might not have the experience at this point to become a veterinarian, but I am more working my way to that so that I can call myself a veteran, a veterinarian when I get those credentials versus saying, nope, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that. Now what you're doing is you're signing for a package that hasn't even been delivered yet. You're saying that I'm not a veterinarian, so therefore you're never going to become the veterinarian because you're saying that I don't have that. I am not able to do that. So here Jeremiah is saying, I'm a youth, so I can't go and do these things. And God says, don't say that. Don't say that I'm a youth because he's going to send you to he's going to send you to talk to people and he's going to give you the words to say, as you see there in verse seven. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Verse eight. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. Underline that. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set over you the nations and uh, set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. In verse 10, underline, I have set, I, I have this day set. Okay. I have this day set. This day, God has set you over any single problem that you're going to that you're going to face. Okay, you are over those problems. All right. The way Peter was walking on water there. Think of that that water as as the troubles of life. Okay, God has set you above those waters. But like I was saying in the the first uh, the first step there, if you don't eliminate the distractions, those troubles will overtake you. So remember who you are and know that this day God has set you over those troubles. Last scripture here in closing, staying in Jeremiah, we're going to jump to verse 18. Verse 18. So we can remember who we are. Verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. Sorry. Jeremiah chapter 18. I looked and I said, wow, how you guys jump real quick from chapter one to 18. <laughs> that, that was pretty quick there. <laughs> Verse 18. All right. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse one. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If you don't have verse six underlined, underline and highlight the whole thing. Bracket it, circle it, stars, the whole nine. Okay. Because the question you have to ask yourself is, are you allowing the Lord to be the potter in your life? And are you allowing to and are you allowing yourself to be the clay? Okay. Part of remembering who you are and how do you have joy in the in the process of a trial and tribulation by remembering who you are is remembering that the trial that you're going through, the issue that you're going through really doesn't have much to do about. The now or in that moment of the trial, it has more to do with what you're going to come out of or how you're going to come out of it um, when, when it's all said and done. You know, 
One of the things that I'm thankful for, and I'm not a glutton for punishment, so don't take it that way. One of the things that I'm grateful for, though, is I'm grateful for the challenges, trials and tribulations that I've had in my life because it's made me who I am today. Am I perfect? No, not by any means. And I don't pretend to be. But what I know then is that when that next challenge comes, I can look back and say, Lord, I see how you shaped me then to deal with this now. And what I'm going through now is shaping me to deal with something that's coming. And so as I have my focus on that and remembering, um, tying it back to, all right, what's God's divine purpose for my life? What is it that he wants me to do while I'm here on this earth until I go home to be with him? I got my eyes focused on that. I'm eliminating these distractions. OK, I'm remembering who I am, uh, who, who I am in, in, in God, and I'm reviewing all of my accomplishments. Then as the trials and tribulations come, I can step back and say, OK, it's really just a matter of when is the victory going to come? And what 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 miraculous fashion is God going to is God going to do this? in? And so I take my seatbelt and I tighten it up just a little bit more. Okay, Tighten it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, because I know the Lord is going to have me on a on a fun ride. Okay, but it's because I know that the process that I'm going through is just going to make me make me a better person in in Christ. It's going to make me a uh, a stronger warrior for God. Um, Some of you know that that I also coach high school football. Um, on the side. And one of the things that is uh, a long process in doing that is actually watching the video of the opposing team. Okay, you can easily I can easily spend two or three hours per video breaking down the film and, and analyzing, putting together some data. And it's not always the most enjoyable thing. But my focus is once I'm done with this, when the game comes, I'll know exactly what the t- other team is doing. When we get out to practice, I know exactly what to say to the kids. I know exactly how to how, how to try to coach them and how to teach them, because that process, while it's long and drawn out and it's very, very tedious, I know that in the end, things are going to be better. So by me sitting down and breaking down that film and going through that, I just know that the next time I actually have to do that for a team, I've already gone through the process and I know exactly what I need to do. Trials are God's way of shaping us to become what it is that he needs us to be. If you're baking a pie on Thanksgiving, right, since Thanksgiving just passed, and then all the preparations that go into Thanksgiving, yes, it's long as going on. You got to go to the store. You got to make this grocery list. You got to stand in long lines. Then you got to cook for hours and hours and hours and hours. But if you remember that, if you try to rush that process, so you take a turkey and throw it in the microwave, which seems to be the, <laughs> the little joke that, that one of those companies was, was putting out there, you throw a turkey in the microwave and try to cook it. How good do you think that thing is going to come out on Thanksgiving? probably not going to be that good. Okay, so you can't rush the process of baking or you can't rush the process of preparing food because it's not going to turn out the way that you want it to be. And it could actually make you sick, especially when it comes down to things like meat. So if a trial, if, if we treated a trial the same way and wanted the trial to be over before God knew that we were ready for it to be over, what ends up happening is we end up becoming a partially cooked Christian, so to speak. Okay. We don't end up becoming into that fullness, that full, that full warrior that God is intending us to be. So know that as you're going through the trial and tribulation, learn to make it your friend, if you will. Learn, learn to, 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 to enjoy the process that you're going through, because that process that you're going through, you're going to come out of that thing a whole lot better than what you were when you were, when you were going in. And you're really, really going to start to come into the fullness, to, into the fullness of God. Amen. I pray this message has been a blessing to you. And now as we prepare to close, let's uh, honor God with our tithes and offerings.